Advances in technology have resulted in increased information being available to pregnant women in the prenatal period. With this increased information has come an increase in the request for termination of pregnancy for fetal indications. However, termination of pregnancy remains one of the most controversial issues in the areas of women's health. Women requesting second trimester terminations may face significant legal barriers, as well as poor access to providers and or facilities that are able to provide the procedure. You are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Today, I am joined by Dr. Regan Tyler. Regan serves as the Division Director for General Obstetrics and Gynecology and is the Director of Ryan Residency Training Program at the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. Today, we will be discussing second trimester pregnancy terminations for fetal indications. Dr. Tyler, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me, Patrice. So what are the most common reasons women are going to present for a second trimester abortion? I think that really depends on your setting. And in the hospital setting, in the tertiary care setting, women are presenting largely for fetal anomalies that are diagnosed prenatally and for severe maternal illnesses, so medical indications for pregnancy termination um, out in community clinics, probably more frequently for unintended pregnancy terminations. So you mentioned that women presenting to the hospital or to a tertiary care center are presenting usually for maternal indications and for fetal indications. Is access to termination easier for these women than for women who are presenting in the community setting? I think it is easier in general for them to access the care, but I wouldn't say it's always accessible for them to get the care they need. So if you have a quote-unquote medical indication for the termination, many hospitals will allow the procedure to happen in their operating rooms, in their clinics, whereas if it's deemed an elective procedure, that's something that people will more often say no to. Do you think that access to providers or facilities impact the gestational age at which abortions take place? I think it does, and the more restrictive the regulations are, the longer it takes women to find a provider to take care of them. So especially in the southern United States and in the Midwestern United States where providers are few and far between and women are traveling between states, it can be weeks between the time they have a diagnosis of a fetal anomaly and the time they identify a doctor and get an appointment to and you know get the funds set aside to be able to have their termination. So you mentioned funds. How significant does funding play a role into the timing of an abortion? I think just the access to it in general is is related to resources. So we do have a health disparity in this country around access to termination for medical indications, as we always have had around termination for any indication. And women who can choose their insurance policies and women who can advocate more effectively for themselves are more likely to get coverage for the procedure. And the procedure, when done at later gestation and done in a hospital setting for high-risk conditions, can run five to $10,000. Women who are on Medicaid or women who are uninsured are going to have much less access to that procedure and are also more likely to be the women who can't take time off their job, can't find childcare, 
are unable to travel and stay in a hotel for several days. So we really are, in this day and age, setting ourselves up for an extreme disparity in access to this service. So technology has certainly advanced, and we are able to give patients information about fetal well-being at an earlier gestational age. We're doing first trimester screening where that information can be as early sometimes, available as early sometimes as 10 weeks. Have you seen any impact on that in the request for terminations? You know, I, I think women are taking advantage of the cell-free DNA testing when it's available to them. And as we get more evidence about it, it likely will be available to more women. And we're seeing diagnoses of trisomies and monosomies and Turner syndromes, et cetera, coming much earlier in pregnancies. And women may or may not opt for any confirmatory testing after that positive screening test. So certainly, you know, there are requests for termination for fetal indication at 12 and 13 and 14 weeks that that come through hospitals now, whereas before we would have had to wait for that quad screen or that 18-week lab confirmed by amniocentesis, and then you're looking at a much later, riskier, and more expensive procedure. So one of the problems surrounding termination of pregnancy has always been access to care, especially in more rural areas. Are there any ethical concerns about providing information about fetal status with limited ability to act on it? And these women may, you give them information, they may choose that they no longer wish to continue the pregnancy. Are we as healthcare providers assuring that they have access to terminations if that's the route they choose? I think we have, you know, there's a classic ethical dilemma where the technology has gotten ahead of the ethics somewhat, and we have to ask ourselves why we're doing the screening. You know, what is the purpose of the screening? Every time with every woman, rather than just screening every woman who comes through the door, you know, and have that conversation with her. Well, what does she plan to do with the information? So, you know, if the test is positive, does she have the resources to terminate a pregnancy? Would she want to terminate a pregnancy? Or is that just information that's prognostic for her to help her prepare for the consequences of an abnormal pregnancy and, you know, the impact that that will have on her life? And, You know, we as providers, any time we order a screening or diagnostic test, we should be prepared to act on that test in some way. And if we're not prepared to act on that test in some way, I'm not sure we should be ordering that test. And I think there are a lot of OBGYNs across the country who are put in the position of ordering a test that they either are unwilling to or don't have the resources to act on. So we are in an ethical conundrum. And so the follow-up question would be, from an ethical standpoint, if we order the test and the patient chooses to proceed with termination, are we doing the patient injustice by not offering the procedure because of lack of financing? That's, that's interesting. I mean, I'm sure there are people who would, who would argue either side of that. And, you know, I'm not sure I have an answer for you on that one. I, I think we all have to ask ourselves that question every time we order the test. It certainly speaks to some of the disparities we see in healthcare, not just with termination of pregnancy, but with access to other types of procedures and, and healthcare 
If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Patrice Passanta-Henry. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Regan Tyler. Dr. Tyler serves as Division Director for General Obstetrics and Gynecology and is the Director of Ryan Residency Training Program at the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. Today, we will be discussing second trimester terminations for fetal indications. So we've had a recent Supreme Court decision that certainly will impact provision of services across the country. Could you speak to that a little? Sure. So the the recent decision in the whole women's health versus Hellerstedt case is probably the most important abortion decision in the last 20 years. Some people say 10 years, some people say 20 years. I don't know that it matters. It has wide-ranging impact across the country, even though it was focused on Texas. The reason being, we saw the Supreme Court say that any regulation that's imposed on abortion clinics that limits access to care must actually not not just say it's in the best interest of patient safety, but it must demonstrate that it improves patient safety. And that's that's a new standard. You know, that's the undue burden standard has been elevated. So they actually took into account some evidence from the medical literature and said, we have a very safe procedure. There's no evidence that these laws are going to make it safer than it already was. And there is significant evidence that it places an undue burden and decreases access for women. So that paves the way for clinics and women all over the country to challenge other similar laws that have not been shown to actually improve safety and that are really just put in place to decrease access. Do you foresee that we will be able to reverse some of the effects that we've had due to the legal implications surrounding termination of pregnancies? For example, we've seen clinics that have closed across the country. We've seen less health care providers that were willing to provide the procedure. It's hard to say. You know, I think the immediate effect will be maintaining at least the status quo, and that things will stabilize a little bit. It may take a long time for all of the appeals to go through to make the climate more open and comfortable for people to reopen more clinics or for more providers to start providing services, especially in rural areas. And the the political tide out in the communities has not necessarily shifted, even though the ruling of the Supreme Court really you know, gives a legal foundation. So as we wait for the legal arena to catch up with us, where do we stand as healthcare advocates in the arena of women's health? I think we we advocate for every patient in front of us. And we're we're in this position of having to help every patient navigate her test results make the, you know, work with the maternal fetal medicine doctors to best predict the prognosis of that fetus at the gestational age when we can be relatively certain and work with the genetic counselors to do the same and give them diagnoses that they can be confident enough in. And then 
and then find resources that if if they have a lethal diagnosis or a diagnosis that they're not comfortable with um, going through a pregnancy with, that they can make the best choice for their families. And depending on where we are in the country, that can be a really difficult job. And depending on the financial resources of our patients, those options can be really limited. Dr. Tyler, we are nearing the end of our time together, and this is certainly a relevant and very difficult topic to cover. Do you have any final thoughts for us? I think this issue is not going away. It's not going to cool down. We have we have the legal precedents on one side. We have fervent politics on another side. And then we have the technology, the, the diagnostics, allowing us to find find out things about these pregnancies that we never knew before at earlier gestations. So we're having more and more women put in the position of of questioning whether they want to keep a pregnancy. So it's a brave new world out there. It was certainly a pleasure to have you on with us today. All right. Thanks for the conversation, Patrice. And to download this podcast and others in the series, please visit ReachMD.com. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on this podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry, and you've been listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.